The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. All right, eight and a half minutes past the hour. Our guest is Mark Franklin, Managing Director and Senior Portfolio Manager, Multi-Asset Solutions at Manulife Investment Management. Mark, it was a consummate performance, it seemed, by the Fed chair this morning. Uh, but there was one thing that was that kind of rankles uh, with me a little bit. Many commentators are saying that, well, the Fed has to be careful with the language, doesn't want to ignite a rally in, in risk assets uh, because it doesn't want financial conditions to ease. And, and what that means is it, it means the Fed thinks it's smarter than the markets. Uh, is the market not itself taking into account inflation and the future impact on, on the economy? Good morning, Brian. I think that the market, as, as with all of us, don't really know what the ultimate trajectory on inflation and, and growth will be. And therefore, it is incumbent upon the Fed to effectively continue to reiterate the message they've held for some time, which is that they need to allow the demand side of the economy to cool right down because they don't have as much control over the supply side, which means keeping financial conditions tight. Now, you do that by making sure that wealth effects from a strong stock market don't run away from you. You do that by loosening the demand for labor from corporates. You do that by loosening the demand for energy by households and businesses. And so all of these things play into the same thing, which is to say that we are a ways away from getting inflation back to our target level or range. And therefore, we have to keep up this very, very aggressive fight in terms of keeping things tight from a policy point of view. Uh, you can argue as well, which uh, one of our reporters pointed to, that, that December is arguably more important than what we saw in November because we did have that baked in of that 75 basis point hike. So I guess what happens next, given what we heard from Jay Powell uh, in his testimony or in his speech, I should say, and, and, and how does that kind of alleviate these concerns too when you've got the murky outlook of that tight labour market and then a downturn in the economy? Well, I think we need to focus less on the individual rate decisions meeting per meeting and try to focus more on the terminal rate, so the ultimate rate that the Fed gets to by raising interest rates and for how long it keeps rates at those elevated levels, because that ultimately will allow for a persistent effect on, on tightening financial conditions and cooling the demand side of the economy. And you're right to say, Juliet, that the, the meeting that's just passed down the 75 basis point rate, that was well telegraphed and well priced in. But in terms of the next meeting in December, do expect Fed officials, as they are allowed to start speaking again, to try to guide the market progressively between now and then towards a rate hike that the Fed is likely to settle on. And that will be data point to data point, because I go back to the earlier point. Both the Fed and also market participants don't have a strong convicted handle on how inflation will develop from here. 
We get a lot of macro views and we've talked about some of yours, but I'm curious as to some of your kind of interesting points that perhaps our listeners would be interested in. And you're looking at some of the front end of fixed income markets and particularly Mexican local currency government bonds. Tell us about that. Thanks, Judith. So we, we were previously um, invested in the front end of the U.S. Treasury curve a few weeks back, but we sensed that inflation uh, persistence and stickiness was still a problem and therefore felt that there was the risk for the upside of terminal rates in the U.S. So we switched out to that and we were looking for opportunities for carry, but with relatively stable volatility. And we found that, that Mexico, as an economy and, and its central bank, has, is running with a fair degree of credibility money because Mexico has been raising interest rates and following the same path as the U.S. Federal Reserve, which has allowed the Mexican peso to remain very stable. And we're now at a point in time where Mexican two-year local currency government bonds are giving you an implied yield of about 11%. And so there is required to be you know, a significant amount of capital loss or unpriced interest rate hikes, not currently in the market, to offset that carry. And in fact, the implied interest rate path in Mexico is, is relatively well anchored and discounted. So we like that carry. We're comfortable for the time being with, with the foreign currency stability. So as with any investment, we have to watch things like a hawk because of the tightening U.S. dollar liquidity situation that we find ourselves in globally. Some investors are hoping that we'll go back to uh, quote-unquote normal conditions at some point where you've got low rates and low growth. Uh, but the point I was uh, going to ask you about before the break uh, ran out of time was, do we wind up in a better place here with, even if we have interest rates ultimately settle at 3 to 5%, that it's no longer just Tina trades, but um, savers and other investors can get pretty good returns uh, in the bond market in, and as well as equities? The first imperative is to get inflation under control and for the market to perceive that it's under control because then you avoid the risk of a, of a wage price spiral. You avoid the risk of households, businesses really struggling to make in, uh, investment and purchase decisions. So that, that's imperative. In terms of where rates need to settle out at, well, I think that in, in the long run, um, financial stability is benefited from having um, the cost of money much more rational, which means that you are able to deflate bubbles of speculative excess, misallocation of capital. And that is a better situation than we found ourselves in the previous few years. The problem is that given the Fed and other central banks started tightening monetary policy so late in the day, that they're having to react very aggressively and move rates extremely quickly now. And that creates short-term instability. But in terms of where they want to end up, that has to be a better place longer term than the place that we came from. And as we know, the Fed, not the only game in town. We've got the BOE today. We've got ECB Christine Lagarde speaking as well. You're talking about valuations being discounted in Eurozone equities. What's your outlook there? We, we struggle to take an optimistic stance on, on the outlook for the Eurozone economy, and both for cyclical and structural reasons. On the cyclical side, there are clearly recessionary and stagflationary dynamics at work there. And also you've got a, a major issue with, with energy stability and energy supply security. And then on a structural basis, you know, this, this global secular theme of disentangling of supply chains, decoupling, upending of trading relationships, the, the Eurozone industrial complex is very sensitive to that because of its export base. So we think that the Eurozone economically is, is challenged both in the short term and the longer term. But as you rightly point out, Juliet, a lot of market participants have already adopted a pretty cautious stance. So we are sitting on valuations which are very discounted and positioning which is very underweight. Um, but there isn't really a positive catalyst to, to realize any value that there may be there. 
Okay, here's an out-of-left-field question for you, Mark. Uh, you know, you love to get these from us. Uh, will 2022 be the year that uh, China is, is sort of known as um, being cut off from the rest of the world by the U.S.? In, in other words, does the U.S. kind of um, remove China from the equation as of this year? Ultimately, China's linkages to the global economy are, are multifaceted and very, very deep. So it's not a simple case of cutting China off. And I'm not entirely clear that that is the U.S.'s intention either. Um, but, but ultimately, I think that uh, the healthcare policy, COVID policy, is, is an intrinsic part of China's openness to the rest of the global economy. And that's something that we have to watch most closely. Tough question in 10 seconds. You did it, Mark. Thanks so much, Mark Franklin, Managing Director, Senior Portfolio Manager, Multi-Asset Solutions, Manulife Investment Management. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.